pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel, a.k.a. Menas, and this is a special Women's World Cup edition of the podcast. I was really lucky to get some time on the phone with one of the stars of the Australian women's cricket team, Elise Villani. Elise has played 68 times for Australia in all three formats of the game and has represented Australia since 2009. In the World Cup so far, she had an unfortunate golden duck against New Zealand, but then against Pakistan smashed a brilliant 59 of 40 balls. And then in one of the highlights of the Cup so far, took the catch of Sarah Ailey's bowling uh, to give her her first wicket in international one-day cricket. And it was an excellent catch at mid-on. So got a really interesting interview coming up with Elise. Enjoy that. And then after the interview, I'll be back with Paul Dennett. Hi, Elise. Welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And, you know, when I've seen you uh, playing and when I've seen you at the WBBL and playing for Australia, you've always got a smile on your face and you're always upbeat and happy. I was wondering, where does that sort of um, upbeat nature come from? Um, I think, to be honest, I just genuinely love playing cricket. I've got a real love for the game and I absolutely enjoy being part of a team. So, yeah, I guess that's why I play cricket and um, that's why I have a lot of fun doing it. And, I, you know, I've had a lot of ups and downs in my career. So anytime I pull on the green and gold, I really cherish that moment. Yeah, and, um, is, you know, is that part of your role in the team to sort of keep the, the mood up in the dressing room? You know, different people take on different roles. Is that one of your roles? Um, I'm not sure if it's a, a role as per se, but um, you know, I, I definitely play my best cricket when I'm enjoying it. So it's really important for me on a personal level to be upbeat and, and make sure I'm getting around my teammates. And I think that really takes me outside of my own head as well. Um, I think it's pretty dangerous when you when you're just sort of thinking about your own preparation and your own performance and stuff like that. So I I really try and make sure that I um you know think of the bigger picture and um you know, make sure I'm being upbeat for the team. But I think it definitely helps me personally as well. Yeah, do you, if you sort of see someone in the dressing room a little bit down or something, you're the sort of person that will try and pick them up a bit? Um, I sort of probably will, will think about um, what, the, what that person likes from other people or what they need. There's a few people that really enjoy sort of spending some time alone in the change room and that sort of stuff. So I think over the years I've probably, um, you know, been educated on, uh, you know, what different people like in the change room and stuff like that. So, But I'll definitely surround myself with like-minded people, um, particularly shooter and um, people like that. So making sure that I'm staying really nice and relaxed and um, everyone knows that if they're around us, they're sort of switching off and, and making sure we're having a good time. That's good. One of the highlights of the World Cup for me watching so far was when you took the catch off Sarah Ailey's bowling in her one-day international debut for Australia. That looked just like a joyous moment for the whole team. What was it like out there? It must have been a great moment for the whole team, not just Sarah. Um, yeah, to be honest, that's been my highlight of the World Cup so far. I sort of said to myself uh, when she started bowling, I was like, gee, wouldn't it be nice to sort of be a part of Mixon's first <laughs> wicket? And uh, yeah, then all of a sudden the ball came and I I just made sure that I was switched on. I was definitely ready for it. And um, it was a fantastic moment to be part of. She's, you know, she, she sort of epitomises what it means to play for Australia. And um, we were just also wrapped for her to firstly get her opportunity that she's waited so long for. And then secondly, be able to get a wicket off the second ball. That was pretty special to be a part of. Yeah, it was special to watch. I can tell you that much. Um how is the mood? <laughs> yeah, it was really good. Um, we're all, I mean, Sarah's story has sort of 
permeated out of and, you know, become such a feel-good story for this team. Yeah, I mean, the feel is pretty relaxed and we're just focused on each game. Um, the fact that we've had two debut points um, for our team has been a really special moment for the group. And, yeah, I mean, the fact that Sarah Ailey has waited so long for this opportunity, she, you know, she said that 12 months ago she was contemplating retirement. So for her to sort of go full circle on her career has been amazing to be a part of. With this World Cup, so you've got nine games and you talk about, you know, I asked you about the mood. Because it's sort of a longish tournament with a lot of games, do you find you sort of have to pace yourself through the possibility of playing nine games? Um, I don't think we, I don't think we pace ourselves. Yeah, I mean, there is potentially nine games to be played and we're all really excited to be a part of that. You know, every game that we play for Australia, we want to make sure we win and put our best foot forward. And I think the, the great thing about us is we have 15 strong squad members. So I guess the fact that everyone's played at least one game, it means that if people do need to be rested, um, then, you know, there's that ability to do that. But yeah, every single time we pull on a jersey, we really want to go out and win. And we know that we can't afford to become complacent in any round games. And um, we know that any given day, any team can win. So we, we want to make sure that we, we go out there and we perform and we win every, every single game. And we know that we've got sustained people that can do that. Yeah, I thought the game against New Zealand looked quite intense. That was a real sort of tight contest. Um, how did you see it? Well, yeah, I mean, any game against New Zealand, it's a, a tight contest and there's a lot on the line. And, you know, we've, we've had a lot of close games over the years and there's definitely a little bit of something extra to get one over each other. So, yeah, I mean, we, we really enjoy playing New Zealand and we especially enjoy beating them too. Yeah, it was a great victory. Hopefully many more to come. Now, when I do research for interviews, I always look at the person's Twitter profile to see how they write about themselves. And on your Twitter profile, it says proud gay athlete for the Australian Southern Stars, Wacker Cricket and Scorchers, WBBL cricket teams. And, you know, I thought that was not quite a statement because there aren't many openly gay Australian athletes uh, at the moment or especially not competing at a World Cup. So what does that mean to you? Well, to be honest, it's really important um, personally for me to always be myself. I know that growing up, I, I felt quite different when I was growing up as a, a young kid. And um, I think it, you know, it would have been really helpful for me growing up to, to think that there was someone just like me um, out there performing at the, the top level for their chosen sport. So, yeah, I guess it's just really important for me to always be myself. And, um, yeah, that, that's something that I always try and live by. Yeah, I've um, read stuff about retired baseballers and other athletes that did not come out while they were, they were playing and they felt it really affected their career in the way, way they were well, not able to succeed, it turned out. So I, I can see what you have to be yourself, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I'm really lucky in that I've got such great supportive people around me in the team, um, Cricket Australia as a whole, the Wacker, and, um, you know, they... they, they um, we really celebrate every single person's difference and, and their uniqueness and what makes them contribute different things to the team. And I guess I'm really lucky in that I'm very well supported to be myself. And yeah, I think it just, you know, it means that if I'm being true to myself, then, you know, all I have to worry about is, is playing cricket. So, um, you know, that's hard enough without hiding parts of yourself. Yeah, I've heard you say that it took a lot of courage to come out publicly. How hard was that? And what would you say to maybe another athlete in a similar position? Um, yeah, I guess it's a, a personal decision that, um, for each athlete, and um, you know, a lot of athletes want to be seen uh, for what they do on the on the cricket field or or any other sporting field. For me personally, it was just you know I didn't really tell many people, but I just decided to change my Twitter profile, and therefore, if, if someone looked me up and um, they they needed to know that someone else was in the same boat as them, then that, then that's what they could find. But um, I certainly am not going out there and um, necessarily waving any flags. I just want to always be true to myself and, and make sure that other people 
I guess, comfortable to be themselves, whatever that is and wherever that is. So, yeah, that's sort of what I like to do. And um, I sort of came to that decision after I was on the sporting slate in the Mardi Gras with Alex Blackwell. And I just thought it was a really significant step that we were both a part of that. And, yeah, I just felt really strongly about, yeah, I guess, just being really honest. Yeah, well, congratulations. You know, I think um, sport is a way of delivering a message of tolerance and I commend you for what you're doing. I think it's a really great thing for the whole Australian athletic community. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, now, I was, when I was also doing the research, I saw that you, you have an interest in making coffee. Now, I also own a cafe when I'm not doing podcasts, and I want to know, how did your barista course go? I have to say, I think I you know, finished probably in the top 50% of that barista course. However, I, I think I failed miserably at the at the um, coffee art, so that's something that I would definitely need to work on. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed doing that. I did the course with a, another WBBL teammate in Piper Cleary, and it was sort of a lot more involved than we probably anticipated. And it's actually, I think it would be quite a stressful job having to fill all those orders. So, um, no, it was a lot of fun, and, and hopefully one day, um, you know, when I get a house of my own, I'd like to buy a coffee machine and, um, you know, just casually make some coffees for myself and other people. But, uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. You'll be popular around your teammates if you do that. Um, yeah, I've got a cafe in Surrey Hills, <laughs> so if you ever uh, want a few shifts, oh, wow. sure we can find one for you. Um, you can put our little card up on your, oh, your, note, your noteboard. Um, so just sort of look, looking ahead to the rest of the tournament, how, how how have you found just generally this World Cup so far, just the whole vibe of the actual tournament itself? Yeah, I think the, the, the tournament vibe is, is pretty special. Um, obviously, compared to four years ago, there's a, there's a lot more exposure for females playing cricket. And I think, you know, there's been some fantastic personal performances across all eight teams and some fantastic performances. So I think we're putting together a really exciting brand of, of cricket. And, yeah, so I think the England crowd's really getting around that. And, um, yeah, it's certainly a, a pretty cool vibe to be a part of. And, um, yeah, it's very it's very special and certainly a highlight in, in a lot of people's careers. Well, that's great. I'm, I mean, it feels from our perspective that it's, there's a lot more interest and there's a lot more coverage of the tournament. You can basically watch every game. So it must be great for you players to sort of be able to feel that as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's great to, to have people come out and watch us and people back home being able to watch us on um, television and, and a lot of kids coming up for autographs and stuff like that. We certainly feel sort of on top of the world for, for six weeks or however long the tournament goes for. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we, we truly feel like professional athletes during during this World Cup and that's something that we, we've all strived to be. Yeah, and have you found that the other teams have lifted since the last World Cup in standard, apart from probably your closest rivals, but some of the lesser nations? There is absolutely no doubt about that. We knew coming into this World Cup that it's going to be the, the closest World Cup probably on record. You know, I know even the West Indies have had a few disappointing performances in the, in the last couple of games, but certainly when they played us, um, you know, they, they're capable of playing some phenomenal cricket. So, you know, and I know it's kind of a bit of a cliche answer, but uh, to be perfectly honest, any any given team can win on any given day. And I mean, we saw that when we played against Sri Lanka and um, Adipadu made that, that classy 180 odds. So a lot of individuals have lifted across the globe and a lot of teams, it's certainly a very close rat race up to shore. Yeah, did you find watching Adipadu's innings uh, must have been, I mean, breathtaking to watch up close because it's one of the best innings of, of anyone's seen of, from women's cricket. Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. It was some of the cleanest hitting I've seen, and it was certainly impressive to to watch it. Um, I didn't overly enjoy it at times when the sixes were being bombed straight over my head at long odds, <laughs> but uh, 
no, it was it was it was great to to be a part of. I guess that you know fantastic performance, and I was pretty stoked when Meg Lanning came out and played such a phenomenal innings, and our, our team got the win. But um, yeah, gee, she really set the World Cup alight that that day. So I'm sure she'll remember that innings for a long time, and I'm sure everybody that watched that game will remember um, both hers and Meg's innings for a very long time. Yeah, unfortunately, Meg suffers from the the problem where she's just too successful. You just take it for granted when she scores another big ton. But <laughs> from your point of view, from your game, so you had a bit of an early dismissal against New Zealand, but then you scored some runs against Pakistan. So how are you feeling for the rest of the tournament? In form, ready to take on the old enemy? Uh, yeah, I mean, cricket's such a funny game and it can be really fickle at times. And, um, you know, it's sort of a bit like a roller coaster. There's a lot of ups and downs, particularly as a batter when, you know, you can get knocked over first ball from a from a pretty good nut like I did the other day against um, New Zealand. But I think the thing is that you sort of, with cricket and particularly in a World Cup, because there's a, a lot of games, you really need to park it and make sure that you stick to your processes, which are, you know, I've, I've got a lot of confidence in my processes. So, yeah, and then just, just knowing that, you know, some days it's going to come off and some days, unfortunately, you're going to get done by a better ball or, or you know, a great piece of fielding or something like that. So, yeah, I think it's just sort of making sure you stay true to yourself and, um, yeah, sort of go with the flow a little bit as a batter. It can be quite um, brutal at times. And, but, um, no, yeah, I mean, it's, it's also while we play the game. Yeah, so you make a quick exit after that first ball dismissal. I couldn't work out whether it was to avoid the New Zealand send-off or because they were giving you one, but you were out of there pretty quickly. Yeah, to be honest, uh, I, had, I had quite a laugh about it with the girls after the game. Um, yeah, I just I just didn't really realise what was happening because I certainly thought I was covering the line and I thought, oh, yeah, I've missed this ball and it's going past my bat. Little did I know that it was actually turning back through the gate and then I just kind of was a little bit in disbelief that it actually bowled me and then I didn't really know what to do and I just wanted to get off the field as quickly as possible and then I started running off and I yeah I was just in a bit of shock I didn't really know what I was doing and then I was like stop running Elise and walk off you are like you are embarrassing yourself so yeah it wasn't one of my finest um, moments but um, I was able to look back and and laugh at that pretty quickly with my teammates. That's the spirit I can tell you I've scored plenty more ducks than you have and you want to get off as quick as you can. (laughs) Uh, Well look I know I've got a (laughs) I know I've got to let you go. You've probably got a lot to get get ready for the rest of the tournament. One last question. I've marked off the dates for the women's pink ball test at North Sydney Oval versus England as being a red-letter day in the history of women's cricket. I know it's a few months away, but have you spoken about that amongst the, the team? Do, do you know It must be something that you're all looking forward to at the back of your mind. Um, yeah, I mean, I can honestly say that we haven't spoken about that particular um, event or the Ashes in general yet. We, um, yeah, we've sort of been very focused on the World Cup. However, I'm sure it's probably in the back of a lot of people's minds um, as to how amazing it would be to be a part of that. So, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll get through this World Cup and, and hopefully, um, you know, we'll get the, the big win. But, um, yeah, I think after World Cup's done, we'll, we'll probably start to focus on a little bit more. But, yeah, I mean, for sure, it's going to be an amazing event um, and and hopefully something that I can be a part of. I think that would be um, yeah, a phenomenal experience. Yeah, we'll hope the selectors pencil you in. I just think they're going to get a big crowd there. A lot of people will walk up to North Sydney Oval after work and watch it. Well, Elise. Yeah, that, that, that's the dream, isn't it, hopefully? Yeah, it's going to be great. What a venue for it. Well, Elise, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us on the Australian Cricket Podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, congratulations on being an openly gay athlete at the World Cup for Australia. I think it's something that should be commended and I hope it inspires others. Thanks very much, Andrew. Have a good one. Hi, Manners. 
Hey, Paul, how are you? Good, mate, how are you? Yeah, good. I wanted to give you a call to have a bit of a debrief about the interview I just did with Elise Villani. How's things? Happy to have a chat about it? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So uh, how nice of Elise to give up some time during a World Cup campaign to come on the podcast. Well, it's an honour to be on the podcast for a start. So I think that she was um, she was certainly excited to be chosen. But um, <laughs> um, I think that that's one of the great things about the uh, Australian women's cricket team that they're always very accessible and very very keen and very obliging to to talk to the to the media and um, you, know, you know almost unfailingly happy and upbeat about things. And it's also I think hard to do those interviews during your campaign, not just with the sort of pressure on your time going from venue to venue and training and all that, but also sort of trying to reflect on something while you're in such an intense environment. Well, it always it sort of contradicts what the, uh, the sports person tries to do, that they, they want to... The cliches are used for a reason, you know, next match, taking it one match at a time, we're not really getting ahead of ourselves. All of these things are are said because they actually work. And so when you're suddenly fr- confronted with the prospect of having to look at things from a, a different point of view and re- reflect on how things have been going, it often isn't what a sport person wants to do. So, yeah, it, it is difficult. Uh, but, it was, yeah, I enjoyed listening to the interview. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to talk to you about was sort of, you know, when we talked about Elise being a proud gay athlete for the Australian women's cricket team, it's sort of not an issue that, you know, we've dealt with in the past on the podcast. And I guess... What did you think about that sort of uh, chat? Well, I think it's um, it, it's an important stance that she's that she's taken. That, it, as she said, a lot of athletes who are gay would want to just um, focus solely on 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 field activities, which is obviously 100 percent fine. No heterosexual athletes ever asked about about their sexuality. But as she sort of said that she wished she had someone when she was a child who could have been a role model and, and made her feel less of an outsider. And I'm sure that there are people of any age who read her Twitter bio and feel comforted by it, not just um, from a, you know, from a sexuality point of view, but anyone who feels as though they are they're different um, or, or being made to feel as though they're different, that they can see that here's a person uh, excelling, um, succeeding, and that she's um, upfront about it. So I think that's uh, it's an important stance. It probably also has an effect on, uh, in a different point of view, that there would be plenty of people around the world, cricket fans who come from quite, um, you know, blinkered or prejudiced backgrounds who would probably be confronted with someone uh, like that, get a bit of a surprise to, and, and maybe have to confront and challenge their own prejudices. So I think it's an admirable stance that she's taking and and um, you can only wish her every success in, in what she does. Yeah, and I think what stood out for me from what she said about that was taking out the broader issues aside of your, your politics or your views just the personal battle that someone might have in coming to terms with themselves, whatever that is. And she was, she pointed that out, that she's not sort of waving any flags. She just wants people to be true to themselves. And I, I think that's an important message, don't you, don't, sort of generally? Oh, absolutely. And and you mentioned that you know, there have been other um, sports people who've considered that they probably didn't achieve as much as they could have because they, they couldn't, have feel, couldn't feel as though they're themselves um, throughout their careers. So... It is an important message, but it's it's sort of easy to be glib about it and say, yeah, that's what you should do. But when you're confronted with the reality where, you know, she's going all around the world with this Twitter bio, knowing that she won't always uh, necessarily receive the, the same sort of um, welcome and open invite that she would receive, it does take courage. And it's um, it's a level of courage that I've never been asked to um, 
to deliver. So I think um, your wife yeah. probably has that sort of courage. <laughs> <laughs> now, one thing about the way I dealt with it and. You know, it was something I could have just let go through to the keeper and just had a chat with Elise about cricket and how the World Cup's going. But I thought that part of the podcast mission is not just to be about cricket, but about the the people and the personalities in cricket. And if someone is willing to put something out there that they that they they want to you know talk about or you know to change their Twitter bio to make it about her sexuality, put it on the sort of topics to discuss. I just thought that, you know, it would be too easy to just let it go through to the keeper and sort of think it was a, a tough topic to discuss. Uh, so I thought it would be, you know, better for the podcast to sort of get to know one of the cricketers a little bit more than just what they do on the field. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's also, um, it makes for a much more uh, interesting interview as well that, um, you know, you, you get beyond the usual sporting cliches and, and the, the norms of what people answer and you, you're getting to some some issues that are that are very interesting to, to, to discuss. So, yeah, I, I thought it was good. It sort of made me rethink, not just this interview, but, you know, when I sort of thought about this issue, it just made me rethink, you know, how someone would have to be a professional sportsman and live a lie throughout their career and how difficult that must be. And also just the sort of the language and respect that now sort of we need to think about when we come at the game from all angles now. Yeah, especially for a, a, a women's cricketer where they're constantly being kind of undermined in other ways as well. But even through this tournament, which has been a great success, there's been, you know, Waka Yunus coming out and saying that women's cricket should be made reduced from 50 overs to 30 overs, that, uh, you know, women's cricketers being asked who their favourite male cricketers are in a way that um, no male cricket would have to be asked. So, you know, a lot of sports men, white and heterosexual male sportsmen, probably don't have to consider any of these things. So... Um, it makes it a lot more difficult to perform when you've got a lot of other things to, to have to confront. Yeah, and I just, I guess I want to end it by sort of commending Elise Villani on, on what she's doing and takes a lot of courage and I think it's really admirable and I appreciate her coming on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And on the field, she's been, had one important contribution so far with that, that innings against Pakistan, following the Golden Duck before that and not, not playing anything, um, not getting much of an opportunity before that. So um, she's an important cog in the Australian side as well, that, um, a side that's expected to win the tournament, and she may have a big role to play. And she's obviously got another skill in making coffee, so if um, she needs to work at my cafe, then we've got some shifts for her now before. Yeah, I noticed. It's nice of you to offer her some shifts. That was pretty funny. <laughs> well, you never know. They might be out of work soon. Now, um, the the last thing I want to leave you with in just sort of just moving away from the interview with the lease. On the last podcast, Gav Joshi appeared and we talked about him having a romantic candlelight dinner with Harsha Bogley. And I mentioned that you were probably pretty jealous of that. Any any response? Well, uh, oh, I'm just impressed with Gav that, you know, Harsha Bogley is one of the, the most beloved broadcasters in the world. And I mean, I... You wish you were there though, love, don't you? Of course I wish I was there. <laughs> and the fact that he's... um. He never. I, I just love about Harsha that he never played the game at a high level and still like forged this, and us. Forged, forged this career. Yeah, exactly. We're in the same boat. So I feel a certain uh, affinity there that he's always got to battle that, oh, you know, how many runs did you score for India? Um, thing. So, oh, Gav, um, hasn't he gone on beyond that as well? Didn't well, he, he dropped a bombshell after the show when the mics were off and said he went to dinner at MS Dhoni's house, the big man, and he had coffee with Virat Kohli. So Gav is just well, all over it. Indian cricket. But Gav doesn't forget his roots, and I would expect that he's lined up for, in the not-too-distant future, some guest stints on the podcast from 
from Danny Bogle and Coley. You'd, you'd be disappointed if he did anything less. I can just imagine the scene at the end of the dinner at Donny's house where sort of, you know, when there's one person that just won't leave and it's like MS is going around cleaning up all the dishes and Gav's just sitting there <laughs> chatting away and Donny's like, you know, it's getting pretty late. Should I call you an Uber? <laughs> Gav's asking about um, early rangy trophy matches that Donny played in great detail. <laughs> Well, Paul, thank you so much for taking my call. As I said, I just wanted to talk to someone about that interview because I thought it ventured away from the territory the podcast normally covers and obviously wanted to get your input. So thank you and um, hopefully we'll be able to catch up soon. Thanks, Menace. Sounds good. Take care. Bye, listeners. We'll be back soon with another show. 